Hey, welcome to the Hamilton Hills Church Podcast. We're so glad that you decided to listen today. We have a saying in our church, life is messy, everyone is welcome, and anything is possible. So no matter where you're at in your life, we hope that this message brings you some encouragement. Enjoy. Today, as we talk about we is greater than me, we're going to talk about the little tagline of belonging, belonging to Jesus, belonging to Jesus. This is important, and it's important for this concept. It's important for this concept that uh, it's not about uh, a relationship with a church. It's not about a religion uh, that you identify with. It's about you understanding that being a Jesus follower means you actually enter into a relationship with Jesus, and we actually belong to Jesus. Uh, You say, uh, what's the difference between uh, me and someone who doesn't follow Jesus? It's very simply... You have started a relationship with Jesus and you have a power within you that is greater than someone else when it comes to us living our life and our spiritual journey. It doesn't make us better. It doesn't make us smarter. It simply makes us different because we belong to the family of God. I'm saying this because the local church functions no better when we truly believe that in our spiritual journey and pleasing Jesus that we is greater than me, and we believe God has a greater purpose for us. Now, this is going to be interesting to you because we're dealing with a passage today, and we're dealing with a famous passage that we all use, as pastors have even used, Ephesians chapter 5. Here's the interesting thing about Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 has been known as the marriage chapter. It says, get words like submit, It's words like obey. How would you like to be me for the next 20 minutes and preach on that on Memorial Day? It's those words that we have called taboo in society. And we have, uh, uh, I believe, somewhat did a a, a disservice to Ephesians chapter 5 because we've made it the marriage relationship chapter. In all reality, can I tell you, it's not about marriage uh, at, at all. Marriage is a sidebar to what this chapter is trying to say. Paul, the apostle who wrote this, is speaking to the church of Ephesus. He was speaking to the local church, and he was talking about our relationship with Jesus. Most of the time, when we read Ephesians 5, we skip right to verse 22 through 30. If you read verses 22 through 30, which we'll read today, it is about the marriage relationship mixed in with the bride of Christ, the church. If you look at the beginning of Ephesians 5, it talks about how we are to function together as people in a relationship being led by the Spirit of God. And so today, this may be a little different angle. It may be an angle that you've never thought about in your your lifetime. But today, I want you to look at this chapter, Ephesians 5. I want to kind of... uh, uh, Descale and take down the fact that you may look at these verses and think it is about the marriage relationship and understand it is a lot bigger than the marriage relationship. You know, when we become a Christian, Jesus wants you to realize that you belong to Him. I belong to Jesus. Say that with me. I belong to Jesus. Say that again. I belong to Jesus. If you are a Jesus follower, you belong to Jesus Christ. Now let that sink in. Take a deep breath. I belong to Jesus. That's important. That's important because it can help equip you for a broken world. I don't know if you know this, but even in Fishers, we live in a broken world. We say around here, life is messy. Everyone is welcome and anything is possible. Why do we say that? Because we know no matter how good your life is, 
it can be messy. We also know that everyone should be welcomed because just as I'm a sinner saved by grace as a Jesus follower, everybody should be given the same grace that God has given me. And then we should believe together as a local church that anything is possible, not because of me and you, but because of who? God. God. And so when you think of this concept, I want you to think about that for a second. We belong to Jesus. In fact, he calls the church, the church, we've learned about this for six weeks, the church, his bride, the bride of Christ. That's kind of odd. You know, we've been using Bible terms the last six weeks because I think we've taken for granted that uh, we use these Bible terms and we think everybody knows what they mean. And we have pushed aside a little bit Bible terms, trying to be so practical that people don't understand what they mean. And then we push those verses aside and we don't think them as important because they don't relate to us because we don't understand because it's foreign to us. But the word bride of Christ, the words bride of Christ is, is very important. In fact, Ephesians 5, 22 through 30 the famous passage used for the example of a biblical functioning marriage and telling us if both parties follow these guidelines, it will not only honor Christ, but give you the tools you need for your marriage. It's a guideline. And, and, and rightfully so. Pastors have used this. I've used it many, many times. I use it in counseling. I use it in so many different ways. And everybody points to this uh, uh, the passage of Scripture, spiritually speaking, when we look at the guidelines of two people in a marriage, a man and a woman, uh, living their life together. But I'm afraid we've worn out this Scripture. We've worn out the Scripture uh, by talking about the roles of the home, the do's and don'ts of marriage, that we have really hurt the power of this passage in its original context. Let me give you a side note. One of the most dangerous things that you can do when you read Scripture is read for your personal gain. You say, well, am I not supposed to do that? No, I'm not telling you. You're supposed to apply Scripture, and it should help you strengthen your faith where God has you. But many times we take passages of Scripture out of its context to make us feel better about the life we're living instead of matching our life up to what the Bible says in its context. And so it's important if we're going to grow as Christians and as a church for us to use Scripture, not according to our gain, listen to this, but for His glory. I'm going to stretch you a little bit today because I want you to understand this. We should use Scripture not for our gain. I've even seen this, where people will use Scripture for a point to, to hurt somebody else. Should never happen. If that happens, they're not spiritual. They're actually carnal. In other words, they're not spiritual at all. Why? Because it's important for us to understand that anytime we look at Scripture, and I can do it, you can do it, we all do it. Anytime we look at Scripture, it's important for us to look in its context so that we don't look at it through the lens of what was good for us, but we look at it through the lens of what glorifies God. I know that's, that's going to be a foreign concept in Christian life today. But you look in the original context, we miss the emphasis on the way the church should function as the bride of Christ rather than a list of imperatives for those who are currently husbands and wives. You see, we looked at submit as a bad word because the American culture looks at it as a bad word, and we brought the American culture into the church life. Uh, obey, submitting to one another, all these words. When you look through the lens of just the marriage relationship, 
it can have a hard time applying it to the marriage relationship. But this verse is a lot bigger than you and I and our relationships. It's more about us and our love and relationship as the bride of Christ. You and I are the bride of Christ. I'm going to explain that to you. I believe the, the marriage relationship in this passage, let me say it right now, is secondary. The relationship in, with a human being, a husband and wife in this passage, is secondary to the core of what the Apostle Paul was teaching. We have made it primary instead of secondary. And calling the church the bride of Christ can be confusing, but this is the example used all through the Bible. In fact, you take a picture on the screen in a moment, but I'll give you some scripture all through the Bible. Marriage is intertwined as a concept in relationship. Ezekiel 16, 8, God cleansed his people and accepted them as a wife. Jeremiah 31, 32, God said he was like a husband to Israel. Isaiah 54, 5, God has called Israel's husband and maker. Hosea, the book used Hosea's marriage to picture God's relationship to Israel. The book of Matthew in the New Testament 9, Jesus compares himself to a groom. Revelations 19, 7 and 9, the church is like the bride of Christ and participates in the marriage supper of the lamb all through scripture all through scripture god has given the concept of the marriage relationship but don't be fooled don't look at it through the lens of your marriage relationship on earth look at it as a greater relationship with you and your savior jesus christ let me give you some quotes here. Uh, John Piper, a pastor, gives a good summary of the way in which marriage pictures their relationship between Jesus and the church. Marriage is a magnificent thing because it is modeled on something magnificent and points to something magnificent. And the love that binds this man and woman in marriage is a magnificent love because it portrays something magnificent. As Christ loved the church and as the church submits to Christ, the greatness of marriage is not in itself. The greatness of marriage is that it displays something unspeakably great, namely Christ and the church. Marriage is meant to be a living drama of the covenant-keeping love between Christ and the church. You cannot say too often that marriage is a model of Christ and the church. Marriage is based on grace, Christ and the church. Marriage is based on grace. Christ pursues the bride by grace, attains her for his own by grace, sustains her by grace, and will perfect her for himself by grace. Did you get the concept that this is the picture of grace because it's all about grace? The point is, as many times... The local church is ineffective. We is greater than me because unity is based off something else than Jesus and the marriage relationship, the bride of Christ that you and I are, and the word grace. It's amazing to me. Uh, we, we lean the opposite of grace many times. When you get this concept, when you get this concept, you can think, uh, uh, the best of each other. You can think the best of a person. You'll, you'll investigate the truth. Why? Because you want to give that person grace. And you want to give grace because you've been given grace. When you understand what you've been saved from, you'll be more tolerant of other people and their mess because we understand that none of us deserve God's love. But by His grace... 
We are all saved in a relationship with Jesus. And therefore, we are known as that foreign concept in the world today as the bride of Christ. The bride of Christ. Not in a religion, but in a relationship. In a relationship. Consider how marriage would function if either the husband or wife failed to participate in marriage. Consider me coming home and, and sitting down on my back porch and Lori come and sit down with me and she talked to me and I never said a word to her. Some of you are like, what's wrong with that? I do that every night. <laughs> Consider if I was talking to her, if I was trying to function in a marriage relationship, but yet the other one was not into that marriage relationship. You see, it would not be a healthy or happy marriage. And some of you are grieving over a failed marriage. Some of you are grieving because your marriage is falling apart. Some of you are grieving because even saying the word marriage makes you uncomfortable. This is comparable to the relationship with Jesus and his church. You see, this is what Paul was meaning. If I'm not in a functioning relationship with, G, or with, with Lori... The examples being used that many who call themselves Jesus followers are not functioning in a relationship with Jesus as the bride of Christ. That means my go I'll tell you my go-to, sometimes me and Lori's personality are so different. I know that shocks you. I'm sweet. She, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, our relationship's so different. But you know the first person I talk to? Lori. If, if Lori is there, I'm Okay. I, 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 we have a relationship for over 22 years. A relationship that's, that, that's grown and it has challenges and, and things happen and there's been health issues and there's been crisis and there's been arguments on her side and there's been all these things happen in our marriage relationship. But the reason we're strong today and the reason I'm excited about leaving this church with her and not you is because we've had to work through this relationship and myself and my wife have made a determination that divorce is not an option and no matter what, we are going to work things out because we value each other and we are not better than each other. So we lean into grace because we know we're both flawed in need of Jesus and we're going to think the best of each other. Amen. In, in, in all reality. Now think about this. Here's what, I, well, here's, here, here's what we do in Scripture. We read it from a conservative bent. Did you know when the Apostle Paul reads, Wives, submit to your husbands? And husbands die for your wife as church. I'll read in a minute. That was wrong, but I'll read in a minute. But I want you to get the, get the background. The Apostle Paul was an outlier. He was a guy, a visionary. When he is preaching this to the church, this is foreign language. People even thought he was an apostate. Why? Because back then, marriage was all for the man. The woman was to live for the man. And Paul was using this as an example of saying, hey, think about this. Marriage is to be an example of the relationship with Jesus Christ. The context of five, chapter 5 Ephesians, chapter 5, 22 through 30 is significant. Why? You've got to look at 15 through 21. Paul has enjoined believers to walk wisely by making the most of every opportunity. He has explained that this is done by understanding the will of the Lord by means of being filled by the Spirit. There's that spooky word, the Spirit. 
In all reality, the Holy Spirit is co-equal with God because He is God. And every believer is given a gift at the moment of salvation. Are you tracking with me? I know it's Memorial Day weekend. You're ready to fire up that grill. Every believer is given the Spirit. So you know what he was saying? He was talking so much more than the marriage relationship. He was talking about relationships in general. And he was talking about the Christian life and being an example of other believers and non-believers. The best thing I can do for Lori Neal in my marriage relationship is allow the Spirit of God to lead me. What he was saying, a functioning biblical church acting like the bride of Christ is letting the Spirit of God lead you. If it includes gossip, it doesn't match the Spirit of God. If it includes going against the Scripture, it doesn't match the Spirit of God. If it includes actions that are sin, it doesn't match the Spirit of God. What? He said, the best thing I can do is the bride of Christ. If I'm going to honor Jesus, the best thing I do is allow the Spirit of God to control me, my actions, and everything about me. And you say, well, that's easy to you to say. You're a pastor. Somebody said that to me the other day. I'm like, what does that even mean? Am I an alien? We're all humans. Sinners saved by, here's this word again, ready? Grace, grace, grace. So when Paul was teaching the scripture, he was an outlier. He, he, he was somebody criticized. I mean, they, they wanted him dead. Why? Because he walks in and we have this conservative bent about Scripture because we grew up in this uh, marriage relationship concept as Christians in this passage. In all reality, this was a new, new thing to the people of Ephesus. So as we look at this, this is necessary for all the human relationships to function properly. In Ephesians 5, 6, 9, it's also necessary for the church to properly function as the bride of Christ. So here's how the church functions as the bride of Christ. If you read the whole passage of Ephesians 5, we don't have time to break that down today. Well, you're the last service. You want to break that down for the next couple? No, I'm just kidding. It starts with being led by the Spirit of God. So no matter who you are, no matter what you think your rights are, Jesus is saying through Paul, Everything starts by the Spirit of God. I'll move on from that. The way that Paul dealt with various human relationships is significant. This is why. It would have been very different from the typical thought process of the ancient world. Paul's view was that the subordinate members of each pair are not people who need to be managed for the benefit of the male household, but members of the people of God gifted for service. Here's the difference. We've made this passage all about us. Are you ready? I told you I'm going to stretch you on Memorial Holiday. So we've made the marriage relationship about us. Whether it's me, whether it's her, whether I'm even preferring her. About our marriage, it's about us being successful. It was never intended for that at all. A functioning biblical marriage was intended to show the world the example of the relationship between him and a Christian. So as I treat her the way God tells me to in my role is an example of how I should be treating Christ. And so as we look at this, this is important. If we want to be we is greater than what? Me. We is greater than me. See, because, because we can look at we is greater than me in all kinds of organizations. But there's no greater, greater moment 
when the local church comes together saying we is greater than me by the Spirit of God, and it's not about us, it's about Him. It's about Him. So, so no matter what happens, this is, me and my wife do a lot of marriage counseling sometimes, and no matter what happens, uh, uh, no matter how she reacts to me, I'm still to act according to how God tells me to act. No matter if she's faithful or I, I'm faith, not faithful, whatever the case is, it's important for us not to react to someone else's behavior. It's important for us to act in the will of God. He says, in the will of God. How do you act in the will of God? See, everybody thinks the will of God is a destination. The will of God is not a destination. The will of God is a direction. It's not destination. It's direction. When people say, well, we just think God's telling us. I, that's so false. Number one, you don't think, you know. And there's things you can know about the will of God. And you can know how to behave according to the will of God. No matter if you're going through a mess or you're going through the greatness of your lifetime. Our objective is for us to understand that as God's children, our behavior must match our mouth so that we can show the world that we are the bride of Christ who's been set apart and you can be too. We good? Good. Paul's main point in Ephesians 5, 22 to 30 is that when the wife submits to the husband as her head and when the husband loves, gives his life for her, cherishes and cares for the wife, then their union with each other depicts the union between Christ and the church. In order to function as the church, the bride of Christ, the way Jesus intended, we must flesh out this part of Scripture. I have two statements. Two statements will be done. I'm coming to your house for a hot dog. and better have Handel's ice cream. The church is to submit to Jesus Christ. Write that down. The church is to submit to Christ. Say that with me. The church is to submit to Christ. Look at the Bible with me. Ephesians 5, 22. It says, wives, submit to your husband. Then it says this. This is important. As to the Lord. But wait a minute, he didn't stop there. Paul says, because the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, he is the savior of the body. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives are to submit to their husband and everything. It can be odd for Christians to see themselves as the bride of Christ. This understanding is important if Christians are to properly function as members of Christ. Being the bride of Christ carries expectations with it. A theologian said this, implicit to this claim that the church is the resplendent bride of Christ. Listen to the statement. Then is a call to live in a way that is consistent with the status. When I go fill out something at the doctor, they ask me my marital status. I check the box married or, or put M for married or for Mark in, in one of those. I'm married. I wear a wedding ring. I'm married. Over 22 years. But here, here, here's the point. I can have the status of marriage. But if I don't behave like a married man, my relationship is not going to be fruitful with my wife. If I go hang out with other women, if, if there's infidelity in my life, that's not going to end well. If I talk bad about my wife, I talk to everybody else about the problem. Why? Because I, I, I have a status 
being married. And if I have that status, my behavior should show that status. And here's, here's the example he was using. If you're a Jesus follower, you have a status. And that status is shown by your behavior. But too many of us Jesus followers use our mouth a whole lot, but not our behavior, and we confuse a lost world. So this is important. If you're going to get the fact that the church is important, it's important for you no matter what. Friends, loved ones, no matter who, no matter what, no matter when, we are to identify with Jesus Christ. And the way we identify with Jesus Christ is not by our feelings, not by others' thought processes, but we are to honor Christ by the way we behave in a relationship with him. And so the church is to submit. It can be odd for that. But husbands and wives have common expectations. In an interview regarding the concept of the local membership, author Jonathan Lehman makes a helpful distinction between the concept of joining versus submitting. Listen to the statement. He said, join is a club word. You join a club, whether it's a country club or a wholesale shopping club. You pay your dues. You receive the benefits. You come and go as you please. Nothing about your identity changes with a club, right? No real demands are placed on you that you cannot pull yourself out of. But the word submit is a kingdom and citizenship word. It recognizes the presence of an authority established by King Jesus. It speaks to a change, a new identity. It suggests that you now belong to a new nation, a new people, a new family. And it suggests that all the new benefits you receive as a member of this nation and family also come with a set of obligations of behavior that are not so easily dispensed of Christians, as the bride of Christ, are to submit to Jesus in this way. Here's where we lost it, starting with me. This this is tough to hear because it's been tough for me to study. We do a lot of talking about Jesus, not behaving like we are family in Jesus. You see, we've become a society about ourselves, defending ourselves. But, but they did that to me, or they said this, or he said this, or she said this. And we've become the society about protecting ourselves and preserving ourselves. When as Jesus followers, he tells us to submit and to behave according to King Jesus. And when we behave according to King Jesus, no matter how people respond around us, we're letting our light shine on a hill because our behavior is not modified to our emotions. Our behavior is to Jesus, the King, and He is happy with you no matter what. Okay, so, hi, McCoy. We... We turned at the same, it was, it was just a moment there. <laughs> so I want to take one more statement. Let me, let me put this together for you. Christ loves the church and gave his life for it. Here's why we should submit. Paul was saying submit to Jesus. He's king. Because if my behavior becomes about me, I'll think only about me, then I'll hurt the body of Christ. Right? Can, can I not lie to you this morning? I know some t- people get a little, you're too transparent sometimes, but when I came in the day, I was tired. Perfect storm my weekend as a pastor. So many emotions uh, uh, helping Scott and his family. My daughter turns 11 and there's six or seven other girls in my house. 
That's enough to break a man. (laughs) Babies being born in our church. I'm going from sad emotions. I'm going from happy emotions. I'm going from scared emotions at a slumber party. I'm going from everything. I just be real with you. And you know what I wanted to do? I really did. I was driving home last night and I thought, I want to ditch them all and hang out at Handel's Ice Cream until they close. But I have responsibilities. And sometimes life can be tiring, but that should not excuse my behavior. Sometimes people can be mean, that shouldn't excuse my behavior. Sometimes there's financial difficulties, but that shouldn't excuse my behavior. Sometimes people act wrong, it shouldn't excuse my behavior. Sometimes life gets messy, and it shouldn't excuse my behavior. Why? Because by grace am I saved and by grace are you saved and by grace God wants to save others and when we behave according to our status as a child of God we let our light so shine when submission comes into our life and then we can really realize Christ loves the church and gave his life for it in Ephesians 5 25 30 husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy Cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. Now, now, you ought to underline that part. Cleansing her by the washing. This is important. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor. That's important. Without spot or wrinkle or anything like that. But holy and blameless in the same way husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. Now, here's what we do when we read this passage. Everybody still with me? We're almost done. Keys are playing. There's hope for you. I'm so tired. I'm delirious right now. (laughs) When we read this passage, we go immediately to our life, husband, wife, and we skip over the best parts. So if you look, verse 27, he did this to present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. That's the glue that puts it all together. You see, the church should be willing to submit to Christ as his bride. This should be motivated by gratitude for what Christ has done for his bride. Here's an important background. In comparison to other ancient household calls, the idea that the husband should expend his life in the care of his wife is unusual. The far more typical approach to marriage was that wife should manage the household well in order to free the husband from domestic concerns and enhance his social prestige. And Paul comes on the scenes and goes, that's not how to live your life. And he says, when he compares the husband love for his wife and Christ's love for the church, it implies that the husband's love for his wife should be so broad, long, and deep that it includes the sacrifice of his own social press steeds. Listen to this. Jesus in heaven. He looks at the heavenly father and says, I'm going to go be the sacrificial lamb. Come on now. So he says bye to his status. 
He looked at you. He looked at you and everybody in this room and said, I will sacrifice my social status and everything and give up everything because I love them so much. I want them in heaven for me for eternity. And if you want to be like Christ, it's not you defending your position. If you want to be like Christ, you love people that you have no position. So here's Jesus. He goes and loves the church. It includes the sacrifice of his own social prestige and well-being. Indeed, his life for the sake of his wife, the bride. Jesus' great love for the church. The church became the Messiah's bride, not by being dragged off unwillingly or forced, but because he gave himself totally and utterly for her. There was nothing that love could do for the Messiah's people that he did not already do. Jesus proved his love for the church by being willing to die for it. The supreme test of Christ's love is that he gave himself for you and me, the church. And a husband should be willing to sacrifice himself for his wife, sacrificing his safety to protect her, sacrificing his time to help her, etc., etc. What's that mean? So even if, if Lori's behavior is not what I think it should be, which it never is, never is, just kidding, uh, it's the opposite. If her behavior is not what I think it should be, I'm going to leave her a long list on her pillow. No. Jesus had no expectations with you. Jesus even knew you would reject him. Jesus even knew you would sin against him. Jesus even knew you wouldn't keep all his commands. Jesus even knew everything that you would already do, and he still left his status and died for me and you. So you know what he was saying to me? No matter what my feelings are about how I'm being treated, no matter what happens in my earthly relationship, my goal is to be like Christ, love her unconditionally, even to the end if she rejects me and walks away. Because that shows who we are in Jesus. I'm going to end with this. There's two clauses. Write them down. Two clauses in verses 26 and 27. The first clause states the purpose for which Christ gave himself for the church. There's this word called sanctify. Write it down. Say it with me. Sanctify. Ready? Sanctify. You know what that means? Jesus, two reasons Jesus came. Two reasons. Jesus came to cleanse his bride. Sanctify means cleanse. Cleaning. Cleanse. Here's the second clause. Not only did he come to cleanse... The purpose for which Christ sanctified the church, that he might present her to himself in splendor, which means clean. It's translated cleansing. It was used mainly in agriculture and architectural context to refer to sifting, pruning, cleaning, building, cleansing. Cleansing comes first and leads to sanctification. Stay with me. When the church was cleansed from sin, it was then set apart as the people of God. So, there are some things we clean every day. Hopefully you cleaned your body this morning, unless you're in junior high. We clean our countertops. Anybody married anybody that vacuums obsessively in their home? Cleaning. We clean. So here's what Jesus did. Jesus looked down. Looked down at you. 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 And he said, I died for them. I want to sanctify them. 
clean them. And here's what we think. The end game for Jesus was not to save us. The end game for Jesus was to bring glory to himself with a clean bride. And so what happens is, Jason, when he saved you, he cleaned you. So there was a new identity, just like cleaning off or eating off a clean plate instead of passing the same plate. Disgusting. Some of you are like, not bother me, but it's disgusting. You know why? There's nothing like pulling a clean plate, even hot. I like it, even hot, out of the dishwasher. That steam come out, anybody do that? And I'm like, it is clean that's what Jesus did for you. You became new for him. And when the church was cleansed from sin, it was new. There are things we clean every day. The word translated splendor could be translated as brilliant. The church is a picture of a young bride, dazzling beauty. I'll never forget over 20 years ago, Lori, when she walked down the aisle, her and her parents tried to make this special because I'm so great and tried to make this special. I'm just trying to tick some of you off about that. Um, She walked down the aisle beautiful beautiful just wow wow I mean I wasn't looking bad myself but wow just like that wedding day the beauty of the bride is even more striking when her former life is considered you see Jesus saved and cleansed you know why you are more you're beautiful as a bride of Christ you know why it's so impressive because You were dirty before you met Jesus. Everybody in here has a past. Everybody in here has a redemption story. Everybody in here has sinned. Everybody in here has fallen. Everybody in here has made mistakes. But when we accept Jesus Christ, we are cleansed by his blood and we are a new creature with a new family and a new identity. And so when the bride of Christ acts like the status they are, nothing can stop the local church. And as I end with this invitation... I've said in several times to give you hope, but I'm really ending. Christ cares for them in the way that anyone would care for his own body. Here's what I want you to notice in verse 30. There's, there's words here. Verse 30, and we'll end with this. Since we are members of his body. So people think membership is like uh, something you join. That's not what Paul meant. Paul meant this. I'll end with this. Paul meant actually members of his body. Members, hands, feet, legs, members. So Rick here, when he got saved, he became a member of the body of Christ. A member. Denise became a member of the body of Christ. As a local church, as a called out assembly, we're members of the body of Christ. So if he does not function with being a member of the body of Christ, part of the body of Christ is weakened and we're not fulfilling what God's called us to do. Here's what people do sometimes. Let me encourage you. Sometimes, well, they won't even notice I'm gone or they don't, uh, we'll we'll just move on. We'll do this, we'll do that. So, So you know what happens? When you detach yourself from the local church, you're detaching yourself from the body of Christ. And Jesus said there's no greater picture. Christ nourishes and cherishes the church because we are members, not members of status, members 
That is arms, legs, hands, feet, and his body. And when Christ cherishes and nourishes the church, he's cherishing and nourishing himself. And when we detach from the church, we separate ourselves from Jesus. But unfortunately, when we fooled ourselves in manipulating our heart that we do not need the local church to be good with Jesus, it's just not true. Membership in the local church is where our discipleship to Christ takes shape. It's where we learn to love our enemies. It's where we learn to turn the other cheek. It's where we learn to forbear in love. It's when we learn to go the extra mile. It's where we learn to employ our spiritual gifts. It's where we learn to speak to one another in love and so forth. Certainly these lessons apply beyond our fellowship in a local church, but the lessons begin here. That's why our strategy is so important. Gather, grow, grow around here. We all have jobs to do and none of them are insignificant. If you identify yourself with Hamilton Hills, you are not only members with status of Hamilton Hills, you are members of the body of Christ that God created. God created you, God created you, God created you, God created you, not for you to be successful in your career. God created you with a purpose to bring glory to himself. And when you don't fulfill that purpose, there is a limp in the body of Christ because you were created to bring glory to his name. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you made a decision or would like to know more about us, you can connect with us at hamiltonhillschurch.org or via social media at Hamilton Hills Church. Also, if our church has impacted you in any way and you would like to make a donation, you can do so by going to hamiltonhillschurch.org slash give. We hope you have a great week and we'll see you next time on the Hamilton Hills Church Podcast.